the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. What, what's that number one thing I can change that will change downstream all of the other stuff in the law firm? And that for me was getting paid. I thought, okay, let's focus on getting paid 100% for the work I do and see what changes that makes in the law firm. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson, I'm on my way back from Memphis, Tennessee. My daughter, Nor and I, came down last night to see Elton John on his farewell tour. I think this farewell tour has been going on for about three years, but he seems to be winding down. For a 70-year-old, he put on a hell of a show. We had a great time. I've never seen Elton John in concert. It, it seems like it'd be a good concert. And you know what? If you've got a presence like that, it's going to take at least three years to do your do your farewell tour. So I, I can't hate on him for that. So that, that's pretty cool. So Nora had fun, though? Nora had a great time. I think she was the youngest person there by about 50 years. And she uh, she didn't like the smell of the wacky weed, so that made her a little upset. But other than that, we had a great time. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That's funny. All right, let's let's get to our guest this week. So our guest this week is someone that's been recommended to both of us, I think, several times. Um, I, I see his Facebook post where he's in Italy, and I'm jealous. Uh, it, it's it, he seems legit, man. From 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 the people that I talk to, this guy is legit. It's Marco Brown with Brown Law. He's in Salt Lake City. Marco, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. So, Marco, tell us uh, about your firm. I know it's a, a family-based firm. Uh, sort of maybe give us your story of why you went to law school, what happened during law school, and your journey till today. Okay. Well, I haven't thought about I haven't thought about law school for a little while. So we're here in Salt Lake. We just do divorce, you know, car accident cases or real estate cases. We do one thing because we want to be better at it than everybody else. That's kind of my mentality. And I'll talk a little bit later about, you know, specialization and why that why that's important, but we just do that one thing. Law school. I went to law school at the University of Nebraska. Really enjoyed my time there. I was a little bit aimless, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to to do because Law school is almost less about studying a substantive area than it is about just not making a decision until you absolutely have to. 
and I got out. I worked for a big insurance defense firm in New Mexico. I clerked first, actually, in Iowa, the third district, which was great. And I worked for an insurance defense firm in New Mexico. Hated every second of that. It was the worst job I ever had in my entire life. Decided that I had to leave that. I made it like 18 months, maybe. And then I just had to get out. My wife wanted to go to Salt Lake to get her doctorate. She sings opera. She wanted to get her doctorate in vocal performance. Decided, okay, you know, we went to college here in Utah and decided to come back. And that's 2010. Not a good year for lawyers. They were shutting down firms in Chicago, New York, LA. I decided that, hey, it'd be a great time to start a law firm. And just did anything and everything that came in the door. Made tons and tons of mistakes like we all do when we start a law firm. Eventually got to the point where people started coming in for divorce and I figured out I was good at it. And then more and more people came in for it. And, you know, one day in about, I think, 2012, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to do this from now on. So, Marco, what were you doing before? Were you just taking everything in the in the door? Or what, I mean, was it just a couple things? And, and how did you choose to do those things that you were doing? In the beginning, in 2010, it was literally anything that would come in the door. So I, I thought I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. Figured out really quickly that I was not good at that, but that, that's what I focused on. So I took a lot of that. And I had done insurance defense, so I figured, hey, I can do personal injury as well. So I would take those cases and then realize I didn't care about them too much. There were just, you know, anything that came in that would pay, I did. And then as the family law stuff and the divorce stuff kept coming in, I figured out I was better at that than everything else and, and gravitated toward that. So talk to us, you said you made some mistakes early on, and I've certainly made plenty. Talk to us about some of your early mistakes when you first started the firm. I think the first one was that I took everything in the door. I should have had a better idea of what I wanted my law firm to be. And vision is a huge thing. You need to kind of figure out what you want to do and then go do that. Otherwise, you're just going to walk aimlessly through through life. And you're going to be a generalist. You know, I, I'm, I'm convinced 95% of firms that just kind of do everything is because they just never sat down and thought about what they actually wanted to do. So that was my first problem. And then the second problem was I was doing all these things and I wasn't getting paid for them. I, I didn't have good systems to get paid. I was scared to ask people for money because I'd never been taught how to do that in law school. In fact, I've been taught by law professors and, and the bar that making too much money was a bad thing. You know, we just need to go out and do good as lawyers, whatever that means. So I didn't know how to do that. I was really hesitant about it. And I didn't collect well on the hours that I was working on all these disparate types of cases. Those were the two biggest mistakes I made in the beginning. So how did you get over all that? Because I, I, I think most of us have experienced that at some point. So how did, when did you decide, listen, I'm done with this, man. I got to start making some money. That's, uh, I call it the shower story. So what happened was from 2010 to 2015, it was pretty much just me. Uh, I hired somebody to answer phones eventually and then hired a contract attorney to do some of the paperwork. But it was pretty much just me grinding it out, networking getting clients, going to every hearing, going to every mediation. And 
I was actually pretty successful at that. So in 2015, I won Lawyer of the Year, Divorce Lawyer of the Year, voted on by the Bar Association here in Utah. And I, I'm the youngest person ever to win that. And I think I'd only been doing family law full-time for about three years at that point. I don't put much stock in awards. That one I really, really enjoyed because that felt like it was serious. It felt like I kind of arrived. And then during that period of time as well, you know, I, I won that. And I thought it was great. And then about two or three days later, I'm taking a shower and I, I realized that I have all of the same problems I had from before I won the award and nothing had actually changed. And I love showers. I, I, it's like one of the best parts of my day. So I'd get in the shower and I was good for about five minutes. And then I would start thinking about cases and thinking about the things that stress me out. And then my heart would start to palpitate and my chest would constrict. This is like while I'm in the shower. And I just kind of knew at that point that if I went down this path and didn't make a lot of really, really fundamental changes that I was going to die when I was about 60, maybe 65. I was going to have a heart attack. I just kind of knew that. And I decided then and there, hey, I don't, I don't really want to do that to myself and I don't want to do that to my family. So I need to change things. And I really started working on what can I change? What, what's that number one thing I can change that will change downstream all of the other stuff in the law firm? And that for me was getting paid. I thought, okay, let's focus on getting paid 100% for the work I do and see what changes that makes in the law firm. That's awesome, Marco. So what steps did you take to begin implementing your, your shower epiphany? I have eight rules that, that I've kind of put together. I didn't verbalize all of these or write them down at the beginning. It was a lot of trial and error. Uh, and mostly it was, okay, I'm going to get paid and I got to figure out how to do that. So I think the first thing was to send out all the bills and then call all the clients and say, get me paid. Otherwise, I'm going to get off the case. And just to be really upfront about that. But over time, as I kind of refined what in my system, I came up with eight rules to to make that happen. And the first one is that you got to change your mind set about money and about getting paid. Because again, our law professors told us to think about money one way. Uh, and it was usually obliquely because they're bureaucrats and they never really thought about money, but you know, they, they never focused on it. And it, it was kind of this dirty thing, at least it wasn't my law school. And then when we get into practice, I think the very first thing that bar associations tell us and what they harp on the most is that we need to give away our stuff for free, do pro bono work, do pro bono work. I was just listening to somebody yesterday, I went to a CLE and one of the first things they said is, hey, remember that 50 hours that you're supposed to do a pro bono work a year. And I thought to myself, you're talking to a whole bunch of people in a room that have a very serious problem getting paid because almost all attorneys solo attorneys and small firm attorneys in America have a very hard time getting paid and you're telling them to give away their stuff for free. You know, that that's their mindset. So I had to change my mindset about it to no, no, my first job as a lawyer is to get paid a hundred percent for the work I do. And my second job is to do exceptional work for my clients. That that's a big mind shift. So Marco, I think a part of that's probably the fact that you started to niche down too, because when you, I, I think, at least everyone on this call can agree that when you niche down, you're going to make more money. But when you did that, it it can be really difficult 
to turn down those money cases when they come in the door. When let's say a criminal case calls you and they've got money in hand, it's hard to turn those cases down. So can you talk a little bit about that that struggle and how you got past that? Yeah, and that is really, really hard when when they come in and they have cash ready and you just see those you see those dollar signs and you want those dollars. Uh, I call that chasing money though. So chasing money is one of my rules too, is don't chase money. Chasing money is doing things that you wouldn't normally do or doing things outside your wheelhouse. Uh, so it's taking those cases that, um, you know, that you wouldn't normally take because they're outside your niche or you're doing a favor for a friend of a friend or you drop your retainer in order to take a case you drop your hourly rate, whatever it is, you're chasing money when you do that. And those cases, if you look back at your history as a lawyer, those are the cases that go wrong. And those are the cases where you just do poorly. And that's not going to help you overall. I mean, it's going to be a, a kind of a patch fix right then and there. But over time, you don't like those cases. They don't make you a ton of money because you work on them too much or you don't get paid on them, and you, you just need to realize and have the self-discipline to say, no, I'm not going to chase that money, man. So I had this come through to me one time. I was talking to my former bookkeeper, and she was a QuickBooks Online specialist, and she decided to – she had 12 clients, and she decided to let three of them go because they refused to switch to QuickBooks Online from desktop QuickBooks. And I remember – when she talked that through with me, she said, you know, just what you said, Marco, that it's a headache to deal with the ones who are outside the way we do things. And I'm willing to let those go. And that was an, that was an epiphany for me. I was like, oh, you mean I don't have to take every single case that walks in the door? But talk to us a little bit about that. And talk to us a little bit about that and then about how to make that transition. Because when that $5,000 is sitting on your desk in cash, I, I mean, my answer is, that you need to just do a better job of marketing to the types of cases that you want and that you, you know you start so slowly wean yourself off the cases that you don't want anymore but do you have any other tips for actually making that transition i think the way you do it is exactly the way you should do it so don't when you make this decision to niche down just tell all of your clients that aren't in that niche to go you know bug off just let them fall off naturally you you just finish the cases right and you focus on the ones that you really want i think that's the best way to to go about that so let's talk about actually marketing towards those clients do you get most of your clients via word of mouth do you get them from the internet how, how how did you shift your strategy to start just getting family law clients when I started in 2010, I figured that the internet was the way to go. And now we look back at that and say, of course it was. But in 2010, that wasn't an intuitive kind of leap that you, logical leap you would make. Uh, but I've always done the internet and I came here to Utah and I had no network. I had no uh, anything. So I just had to advertise. So we've always got most of our clients from the internet. Even today, it's between 75 and 80% from internet and then 20 to 25% from referrals. The way I really started honing down on family law and divorce in particular, we don't even do paternity cases that much because we've kind of priced ourselves out of that, uh, that market and we do divorces because we found them to be kind of a higher net worth case and a little bit easier to work. 
is you just figure out who your client is, right? Who you actually want to work with and then start writing for that person or start creating content, start meeting people that know that type of person and networking with those types of people. That, that's the only way to make it happen. Otherwise, you're even within that thing you do, you're just going to randomly pick up people on the entire spectrum. So you need to really hone down on who you want and what they look like, where they are, and how to talk to them. So let's say you're a family law attorney up in Massachusetts and you've decided, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna identify my avatar client. What would be the process you'd recommend to them to do that? Do you just go to the richest neighborhoods? Do you just focus on dads? Do you take, do you take a stance? What's your advice on that, Marco? It depends on who you wanna work with. So I'll give you an example. There's a city here near Salt Lake, Park City. It's where everybody goes to ski. Uh, Park City is to Utah what Austin is to Texas. It's a city that doesn't make sense. You know, it's not like any of the other cities. And there's a ton of money in Park City. It's where Californians go to buy other homes and Texans go to buy other homes. It's crazy up there. But you have some very good divorce attorneys who will take cases in Park City. I personally don't take cases in Park City. I've never opened an office there and I never will because they're simply not the type of client that I want. They have a lot of money, but they kind of treat you like a slave. And I'm not a big fan of that. So I don't want that type of person. So I decided early on that I wanted to work with middle class, upper middle class people, mostly talking about, you know, kids and figuring out how to, uh, you know, how to do custody and parent time. That's kind of our, our niche. And I just figured out who I like to work with and who had money for us to be able to work with them. And I, and I went with that. And I think everybody needs to go through that process. And it's a little bit of process of self-discovery that you need to figure out who you enjoy interacting with and who you work best with, because they're probably the ones you're going to work best for and just start you know, going down that path and getting those types of people. So you actually list on your website your, that you will do flat rate fees and kind of why. When you talk about you know, why you do flat rates, and then I, I am assuming you've done the billable hour because you work for a defense firm. So can you talk about the differences? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have questions about, okay, should I do flat rate? Should I do billable? And can you talk about why you chose flat rate? Yeah, so we do billable and flat rate, to be honest. Uh, we'll, we'll do both of those, just depending on the case and depending on what the client wants. I started doing flat rates in large part because of Lee Rosen, who makes a pretty compelling argument for flat rates. And the compelling argument is that you can actually make more money. They're more lucrative because people will pay a premium to know exactly what they're going to pay, right? With the billable hour, the, the beautiful thing about the billable hour for attorneys at least is we get to obfuscate what the case is gonna cost. Uh, and, and you know, some people, some clients like to be lied to in the sense that they, they like not knowing at the beginning what it's going to be, and, and the billable hour works for them. But you, people will pay premium in order to know exactly what they're going to pay, pay at the end, so you can actually make more money on flat rates if you structure them properly. The problem is that most attorneys do not structure them properly at all. They, they just don't think through the problem, they don't think through their system, they don't think through how a case goes, and they very much undervalue 
their each segment of the case and which means that they don't charge enough and then when they don't charge enough they get mad at the flat fee because it's not high enough so they stop doing it well the answer to it is go back into your system figure out where you made the mistake in each stage of the case and then raise your price to make it commiserate with the time that you're actually spending but most attorneys just don't go back and do that they don't go back and look at the data they don't go back and adjust they just go back to the billable, billable hour because the billable hour is what attorneys have done in America for a very long time. So it's it's what we know and it's what we go back to. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms trusted by many maximum lawyers, including me. At my immigration practice, the hacking law practice, Smith's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English or Spanish, screen and schedule new leads, and even take payment for our consults. The best part is that they don't just handle these conversations by phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? If you're in a solo or small firm, I know you'll appreciate this. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls and $100 a month for chats. They even offer a totally free chatbot, so there's no excuse. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum lawyer listeners get an extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100. That's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say don't let another day go by. Try Smith AI. You're listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. We're talking today with Marco Brown. He's a family law attorney from Utah. He's sat down and identified the eight problems that lawyers have in getting paid. Marco, what are some other issues that you've seen with lawyers when it comes to them not valuing, valuing their worth and making sure they get paid? I think one of the big ones, and this is a huge problem for solos, even well-established solos, and 56% of American attorneys are solos. So that's it's actually the majority of who we are as attorneys in America. But one of the big problems is billing regularly. They just don't do it. So you need to bill at least once per month, if not more than that. I have a friend who bills every week and she gets paid 98, 99% for the work she does and she does divorce. So it really works for her. I actually experimented with that because I experiment with everything. I think we did it for a month and my office manager threatened to quit because she hated it so much and it just didn't work for us. So we do it once a month, but everybody needs to bill at least that, if not, you know, every two weeks. If you don't do that, then your clients are going to get upset at you because they're not going to regularly understand what you're doing on their case um, or, or, you know, how things are progressing. And then you're just not going to get paid if you don't bill once a month. And there, there's some really interesting data from Clio that talks about how long it takes a lawyer to actually get paid. And the average is 170 days from the time the lawyer does the work until the lawyer gets paid for the work. So the average is about 87 days from the time you do the work until you bill for it and send out an invoice. And then the average is about 83 days to actually get paid on the invoice. And anybody who, who get outside of law knows that once you let an invoice go past 
you know, about 60 days, your chances of getting paid on an invoice go down really, really dramatically. But that's the norm for attorneys is 170 day turnaround time. Man, do I feel that pain with doing PI. Jeez, it takes forever because, you know, we, we, we put all the money in and we don't get anything until the end. So that's, I, with family law, I, I've got a Steve Bartle, he, he listens to the podcast, he's a buddy of mine. He talks about collecting and once it does get to that certain point, it's just basically you just have to write it off because there's nothing you can do about it. So, which sucks because you, you do the work, you, you deserve to get paid. So just it sucks that people get screwed over like that. Uh, let me yeah. tell me this. Um, where are you headed with this firm? I mean, are you going to stay about the size you are? Or do you want to grow to some mega firm? Where, where are you headed with this? I don't know what the definition of a mega firm is. We're, we're not going to stay where we are, though. Uh, I can't do that. It's not part of my nature as a human being to kind of stay where I am. I, I tend to get depressed unless I'm, I'm progressing. So I read a ton, and I actually get depressed if I don't if I don't read enough because I'm not stimulating my my mind. Um, but no, we'll, we'll grow, we'll grow more in the Utah market and dominate that. Uh, we're, we're already a big, big player here, but we'll do that. And then we'll move into other States, um, probably in pretty short order. Backing up, what, what is your current setup? How do you have your firm arranged? Do you have paralegals, lawyers? What do you have set up? I've always liked working with lawyers more than I do paralegals or staff. Uh, I just prefer working with attorneys as opposed to working with people that I'm, I'm paying 15 or $20 an hour to. So we're attorney heavy. The attorneys do most of the, the work, really most of the substantive work and the kind of perfunctory stuff is what the, the paralegal or office manager takes care of. So I have four full-time attorneys right now, plus me, and there's one paralegal that coordinates everything. And then I have an intake person and that intake person runs the, the intake side of things, that, that entire system. So from first contact through hiring, it, it all goes to Daniel. He does all of that. And then it goes to legal, which is the paralegal. And then it goes to the attorneys after that. And they start working the case. All right, Marker, I want, I want to ask you another question, and it's something I ask a lot of people, because you seem like you've got your stuff together, and everyone that, that I talk to, like, they, they talk really, uh, say really good things about you. So what is something that you struggle with uh, quite a bit? Oh, man, focus. Focus is my big thing. I, I'm ADD enough where, you know, I, I, I read widely because I get bored if I read just one type of thing, and it's the same kind of thing in lawyering is uh, I, I get unfocused and I'll get unfocused for, you know, a month or two. And then I have to get myself back on track and, and really kind of buckle down. So I think that's always been my biggest, um, my biggest problem. And I'm going through a, a period right now where I took some time off this summer. We went to Italy as a family and then it took me a while to get back into it. And, and now I'm really buckling down and, okay, here's the things we're going to do over the next few months. So that that's always been my, my biggest problem within the other than that within the firm itself my biggest issue has always been client acquisition it seems like some people can magically get clients by sleeping or going to the bathroom i mean whatever they're doing they just get clients right i've never been that guy i've always had to study and grind it out to to go get clients and to close deals and to help people I've had to read innumerable amounts of books to figure out how to sell and close. So that's been years 
long process um, for me and, and still probably the thing I work on the most. Marco, where do you find your energy? If you got to pick which aspect of running your farm or practicing law or interacting with staff or overseeing processes, what's your, what's your bag? What's your go-to? If, if everything's sort of humming along, where do you find yourself drawn? I, I thought about this the other day. Mine is in the creation of things. So I was and am a terrible employee for somebody else because I'm not creating anything. And I kind of felt bad for the firm I worked for in New Mexico because I just, in my heart was not in it, man. I was not, I was not a very good attorney. So coming here, doing my own thing and creating a firm, figuring out things, doing it differently than other people, um, helping clients. I love the, the creation process and I get antsy when I'm not, when it's, when things work, then I get antsy and I have to go create something else. That's what really turns me on. Great stuff. All right. So I do want to uh, wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone, go to the Facebook group, get involved there. Uh, I just, every day I'm just shocked by how much information people are sharing. So make sure you get involved there. Um, also, register for Max Law Con 2020 on June 11th or 12th next year, and we should be announcing a venue very, very soon. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? So, you guys know I love audiobooks, and I'm making my way through Atomic Habits now by James Clear. It's a little bit like The Slight Edge uh, and by Jeff Olson and The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, but... Uh, James Clear has a great blog on productivity, and and I thought atomic habits meant really big, monstrous habits, but when he means atomic, he means it's sort of that how little hinges swing big doors, how you make little changes in your day-to-day -day routine can really help maximize your output. Super cool. Uh, Marco, before we get to your tip or hack of the week, I do want to give a shout out to one of our other sponsors, Blue Shark Digital, uh, Seth Price, Nalini, they, they, they do awesome work over there. Um, both Jim and myself use Blue Shark. They are amazing. Um, I, I, they've done a lot of great things for my, my website and my SEO, so give a shout out to them. They're also designing, Jimmy, our website, and which we'll be launching in the next couple of weeks. We'll make an announcement for that, so it'll be pretty exciting. Marco, what's your tip or hack of the week? I'm going to go back to my rules for this. And my rule number seven is fire your worst client today. That is my, that is my tip of the week. And when I say fire your worst client, there was a face that came up in your mind. That is the person, that is your worst client. That's the person you can't stand. That's the person your uh, office can't stand. Get rid of that person. You're going to make more money. Love it, man. When you when you said that, I was like, yes. It just it made me feel so good. So um, I may I may go do that myself. So that's that's a great great tip. Uh, all right. So my tip is today is October 31st when we're recording this. It will come out next week, which uh, I think is the fifth. You need to if you're going to send out holiday cards, you need to get them out soon. So order them and send them out very very soon. So if you're especially if you're going to send out Thanksgiving cards. Get those things out. Um, if you're going to send out Christmas or New Year's cards, get those things out. So my tip is to get those ordered like right now, like this week. Marco, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great talking to you. Uh, I want to get to know you some more. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. 
Thanks, guys. Good stuff. We'll talk to you later. Have a good week. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.